Hello, everyone. Welcome to Snapshots Live, our new webinar series at San Francisco Public Works. My name is Komate, Public Information Officer with Construction Outreach and Public Affairs. We're excited to have all of you join us today, where we will learn more about phase two of the Jefferson Streetscape project, where streetscape enhancements and a new plaza being installed along Jefferson Street will make one of San Francisco's most iconic commercial corridors safer and more welcoming than ever. We hope you will continue to join us every third Thursday of the month for this new virtual initiative where we will hear from our colleagues and our city partners about the projects and programs we are leading. Please note this snapshots live session is being recorded and will be available to watch again or share at a later time. Today's presentation will last about 45 minutes, including time for questions and answers. If there's anything you would like to ask our panelists about today's topic, please send over your questions through the Q&A feature by clicking on the Q&A icon found at the bottom of your screen. Our panelists today are Randall Scott, Executive Director of the Fisherman's Wharf Community Benefit District, Denny Fan, Project Manager, Tony Esterbrooks and Julianne with Landscape Architecture, and Ben Vulberding, our Project Resident Engineer. Again, please be sure to stick around after we hear from our panelists today for our question and answer segment. For those joining us today who have dialed in via phone only, you may raise your hand to alert the host that you would like to ask a question during our Q&A segment by pressing star nine. Let's get started with a little background about Jefferson Street as we hand it over to our first presenter, Executive Director of the Fishman's Wharf CBD, Randall Scott. Thank you very much, Gilma, I appreciate that. So uh, once again, my name is Randall Scott. I'm the executive director for the Fisherman's Wharf Community Benefit District, and I'm here to tell you a little bit about our area, so a little bit of the history behind it. So what, what you're looking at here is, this is the image of the wharf in 1891. And you know, this was important for me to show, show it to you because uh, it's a reminder that Fisherman's Wharf is not just a name. It's, a, a long, it's got a long storied history uh, as part of our great city. So over time, there was a desire to be able to eat fresh catches of fish and Dungeness crab. And so with the Italian, rich Italian heritage and, you know, love of food, uh, they started what is now, you know, the crab stands uh, along Taylor Street. And so all, all that was born around the 1900s and continued for years and years. So uh, that, that's, that's the immediate short history of the Fisherman's Wharf. Now, you fast forward to 1978, uh, that's when the Sim Simmons family uh, opened Pier 39 as an attraction and destination, you know, which started, you know, really doing its job uh, and bringing more and more people down to the waterfront. And the, you couple that with, you know, the Ghirardelli Chocolate Factory, and it just became a fantastic place to, you know, hang out, enjoy the outdoors, you know, Aquatic Park is right, right adjacent to it. So, you know, it, it became very, very popular. It became so popular, it uh, grew to the point where it kind of overwhelmed itself. So if you want to show the next slide, you can get an idea of what, what it looks like during the holidays. But yeah, as you can see, it's now bustling. Boudin has its headquarters there. It's, there's a tremendous amount of activity and pedestrian activity, and it's a key component piece of the city because so many people see it as the city. It's an international icon. So the, the problem, again, we're a victim of our own success. 
there were so many people coming down and so many cars and it, it, it just wasn't working. And so, uh, you know, it was labeled a tourist trap and it, it's not really a tourist trap. It just became, you know, untenable to walk around down there. You know, we moved into an area where we wanted to start counting pedestrians. And so we put in pedestrian counters years ago. And if you take a look at this next slide, uh, you'll see in, you know, there's 60,000 people uh, on a day. And th these days are in, in October. During the summer times, we can see up upwards of 100,000 people. And if you've ever walked along an eight foot sidewalk with 100,000 people up and down every day, it's not functional. And again, we, we became victims of our own success. We had so many people coming down and wanted to see the wharf and enjoy the outdoors that it became not, uh, it, it became unsafe. People were walking in the streets. We had cars in the streets. There was no flow to the, to the overall uh, area because there was never any plan. You know, it, it, was, it just kind of happened. It blossomed into that. So in, in around 2010, um, the city realized a better job could be done. And partnering with the Fisherman's Wharf CBD and the city and, you know, a number of other entities, the port and, and uh, public works, you know, we developed, uh, co-developed, co I guess you could say, the, the vision study of what Jefferson could be. And that, that was the impetus behind uh, this absolutely fantastic project. I can say that now that we're almost done. And that is what Jefferson Street should be, now is. And that's thanks to Public Works and everybody there. And uh, I'm not gonna get into the weeds, so to speak. Uh, that's, that's not you know, my job. So I'm gonna pass the baton over to Denny and so he can start off and do a much better job on exactly how this stuff is created. So thank you very much for having me today. Thank you, Randall. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Denny Fan, and I'm the project manager from Public Works Infrastructure Design and Construction. And I'm really excited to be here to introduce the Jefferson Streetscape Phase 2 project, which is um, an exciting project located right in the heart of Fisherman's Wharf. Um, and it is the, one of the city's busiest and most iconic tourist areas. As you can see from this map, um, the project limits are highlighted by the red line right there um, and spans three blocks from Jones Street to Powell Street. And there are many points of interest directly within and around the project limits. You have you know, Pier 39 just to the east. You have Aquatic Park in Gary Lake Square to the west, the tour fleets uh, on the north, and a bunch of hotels just south of the project limits, which brings in a lot of pedestrian foot traffic. And along Jefferson Street itself, we have the famous Fisherman's Wharf sign right smack in the middle of the project limits, and many important businesses and shops, um, both small and large, such as Boudin's Bakery, which is famous for their clam chowder and sourdough bread and the Wax Museum and all the sports fishing fleets right there along the Inner Harbor, as well as the popular Wharf Seafood Restaurant. So with all that's going on in this neighborhood, Jefferson Street you know, rightfully serves as the main street of Fisherman's Wharf. And because of this, it's obvious that the neighborhood carely, uh, deeply cares about how the city went about designing and constructing this project because in the end, it could significantly impact the commercial success of the area, which is even more important now that you know, we're in a, a pandemic. And as Randall mentioned, um, you know, in 2006, um, the Fisherman's Wharf CBD developed a vision document that you know, detailed how they wanted to see the neighborhood grow um, in the future. 
And at the request of Supervisor Peskin, the planning department built upon this document and developed the Fisherman's Public Realm Plan, which formalized the community's vision and helped it turn into reality. And the community's overall vision was really to make the wharf a favorite destination for everyone by improving pedestrian experience, revitalizing the open spaces and making a better connection to the surrounding neighborhood. And one of the most important goals of that plan was to develop new street designs for all the streets around the wharf to prioritize pedestrian safety and improve the experience at the wharf. And as the main street of the neighborhood, you know, a redesigned Jefferson Street would play a central role in reinvigorating the Fisherman's Wharf and achieving that vision that the CBD had in the beginning. Um, and that was a major focus of the plan. So in the end, the plan developed an overall concept plan for Jefferson Street. The original project actually spanned five blocks from Hyde Street to Powell Street. However, due to funding and construction constraints, the project was actually split into two phases. So phase one there shown on the left um, between Hyde and Jones Street was completed in 2013. Um, and it was fast tracked for the San Francisco, um, just in time for San Francisco to host America's Cup. And phase one was extremely well received and has helped really um, revitalize the business in the stretch of the street. And then we have the second project, which is phase two, which is the topic of this webinar. And that goes from Jones Street to Powell Street. And this phase was um, split from phase one because of funding shortfalls, but also because of the added complexities of the Muni Historic Streetcar that runs right down this segment of the street and the presence of the all important seawall that's right under the sidewalk in our project limit. And our landscape architecture team will get into a little bit more detail on the design in a little bit, but um, at a high level, the project is reconstructing three blocks of roadway with geometrically patterned concrete panels to try to help slow traffic and um, make it safer for pedestrians and bicyclists. We're also widening the sidewalks and reconstructing the Taylor Street Plaza where the famous sign is so that it can be used as a multi-purpose area for the CBD and um, port events. And we're also reconstructing the Inner Harbor Plaza um, right there along where all the fishermen's boats are to help restore and improve access to the waterfront. And all these improvements really help achieve the community's goals of making the wharf a favorite destination for, for locals and tourists, just like the, the CBD had always envisioned. And so of course, with a project this big in such a highly visible location, it's obvious that it takes you know, a village to, to pull this off. And um, you know, we have a lot of departments and partners that have come together. And our overall project construction budget was 14.5 million which includes engineering staff, construction management, consultants, and of course the hard construction costs. And by leveraging funding from Public Works, the Port and SFMTA, we were able to secure a grant from the Transportation Authority's Prop K sales tax program. We also got a huge grant from Caltrans through its new SB1 gas tax program. And of course we have other important partners in the project, including San Francisco Planning, um, PUC, the Fisherman's Wharf CBD who has been an extremely important bridge for us between our construction team and local businesses. And of course, our contractors. Um, Mitchell Engineering is our prime contractor and their major subcontractors include Bauman Landscape and Barrier Lightworks. And so the, the final thing that I wanna point out before passing the presentation on to our design team is the unique complexity of the coordination and jurisdictions that this project has, which may not always be typical of our usual street infrastructure projects across the city. Um, you know, while this is a public works project that hire and is managing its own contractor, the project limits are actually on port property um, and right on top of the seawall. Uh, on this, we can see um, the jurisdiction line noted there on the left side. Um, so that meant the public works had 
to itself go get a port encroachment permit um, and is the one responsible to ensure that our contractor abides by all of our regulations. And on a typical project, we simply rely on our contractor to usually pull its own construction permit from Public Works BSM. We also had to get uh, additional permits from BCDC, which is the San Francisco Bay Conservation and Development Commission, whose main focus is on protecting access to the waterfront during construction. And even though we're on port property, MTA still has jurisdiction over the traffic control. And it was a huge effort to plan the shutdown of the historic F-Line streetcar and implement a big bus substitution plan um, in order to allow us to get our roadway construction work done, which ironically ended up being cut after just a few months anyways, um, due to the COVID-19 service changes. Um, and we also are working with local businesses, um, but it's unique on this project because not only do we have private property owners on the south side of the street, we also have port tenants on the north side, um, which includes the Triangle parking lot operator, um, Boudin's Bakery, the fishing boats, and the wharf restaurants, which really adds a unique complexity um, because those tenants have their own certain contracts and agreements with the port that we had to work around. Um, so, you know, all in all, this is a pretty unique project for our infrastructure division group that's dealing with multiple funding partners and jurisdictions and one of the busiest tourist spots in the city. Um, so it's, it's a really exciting project. And um, with that, I'm happy to pass things over to Tony Esterbrooks, who is our urban design section manager with our landscape architecture team to talk more about design. Thank you, Denny. So I want to go ahead and talk a little bit about the site character. As Denny already talked about, um, you know, the waterfront in this area and Fisherman's Wharf is a very diverse corridor. Um, there's a lot going on. There's hotels, there's businesses. Um, and one of the things I think we get most excited about as landscape architects is we get to design streets that help bring about street life and other activities to the public right of way. We're very lucky with Jefferson. If you kind of look at the photos here on the right, you have this really vibrant and stimulating street life that already occurs. You have the crab pots, street performers, uh, the water itself, and even the views beyond to the bridge. So I think it's, it's really an exciting corridor. Um, it's a really important connection, I think, between Pier 39 and the Aquatic Park. So some of the pedestrian improvements that Julie's going to go into here in a minute really helped reinforce the connection, provide a more cohesive waterfront. And some of the big constraints, I think, with the existing, this existing stretch of Jefferson is really about um, you know, vehicles and pedestrian usage. The, the existing condition was really heavy on vehicular activity. The pedestrians were kind of squeezed through these little uh, corridors here, like you can see by the crab pots. Um, you know, the seating around the iconic Fisherman's Wharf sign was really lacking. This is a big gathering spot. You know, I'm sure it's a big Instagram moment along the street. There's not really a place for anybody to sort of sit and dwell and give that feature the attention it deserves. Uh, improving that connection to the waterfront and the inner harbor for tourists, for the fishermen that come there. And then also just the street performers and getting a little bit more organized about that. I think all this street life is really great, like I mentioned. And we've sort of developed a design that I think helps that all those uses work a lot better um, by widening the sidewalks, providing better amenities, providing better lighting, and really reinforcing the sense of place that Jefferson is. You know, I think if we look across the world, waterfront districts um, are, are huge economic drivers for cities. And this is certainly one of those. And I think uh, the designs you're going to see really helped reinforce 
Uh, Jefferson is an iconic landmark in San Francisco, not just for tourists, but also for, um, for locals and makes it more inviting, as Randall mentioned. You know, the, it's, it's quite busy and it's hard for a local to want to come here and move through and experience those connections along the waterfront. So I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to Julianne, who's going to get into the specifics of the, uh, the street design and some of the urban design elements that we were very fortunate to be able to include. Um, I'd just like to recap and say, you know, we're very lucky that we got to do all these really interesting treatments um, to make Jefferson Street the place it deserves to be. So I'll go ahead and turn it over to Julie. Thank you, everybody. Hi, everyone. Uh, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Tony. Um, so at the start of phase two, the design team, we established goals for the project uh, that really echoed the intent of the Fisherman's Wharf Public Realm Plan uh, that was mentioned earlier. Um, so as the only pedestrian connection that runs the whole length of Fisherman's Wharf, it was really important to make this an improved corridor and provide a sense of place uh, and to prioritize pedestrian safety and the pedestrian experience. We also knew the importance of pedestrian safety as Jefferson Street had been identified as a high injury network street um, based on the city's vision zero plan. Uh, and we uh, also wanted to create a safe and a well-lit corridor for nighttime activities and identify opportunities for planting um, and extend those improvements from phase one. So phase one, um, as mentioned, it was completed in 2013. And one of the big moves from phase one was changing Jefferson Street from a one-way to a two-way street. And this created a slower street, which allowed for a safer pedestrian experience. The sidewalks were widened and amenities were added such as ped lights, bicycle racks and precast walls. Um, one of the challenges was with phase one was that a lot of these older buildings and restaurants as you see in these photos, their finished floor elevations were higher than the uh, existing sidewalk around it. So this provided an opportunity to have some um, outdoor dining spaces, outdoor terraces, um, uh, that were bordered by these nice uh, precast concrete walls. Um, and the roadway was also designed to have uh, a bold striping pattern that is aesthetically um, classical and timeless uh, style. And functionally, it actually uh, encourages vehicles to slow down. Um, I really like these photos because it really shows the, the success from phase one. You can see that the street is uh, highly activated. Um, There's so many people uh, walking and using this space. Um, and economically, phase one did bring some um, revenue increases uh, among the local merchants as well. So um, I'm going to go into the, the site plan in more detail. Um, so like phase one, phase two also had the same issues, uh, including those narrow sidewalks, a lack of a strong identity and public open spaces. Um, so phase two incorporated some of the same improvements, including uh, we wanted to continue that bold uh, roadway striping pattern. We included uh, precast concrete walls, widened the sidewalks and um, had some uh, special paving um, in some areas and added pedestrian lighting as well. Um, and all of these design elements really come together to make this 
um, an even greater destination for both tourists and locals alike. And it also reinforces that sense of place, uh, providing a unique pedestrian experience. And the Inner Harbor, as you see here, uh, is especially important. Um, it, it's the only um, part of Jefferson Street that provides direct access to the water for the public. And I'll talk more about the Inner Harbor in a later slide. The second block uh, of this project um, from Taylor to Mason, this is really about uh, Taylor Street Plaza, uh, also known as the heart of Fisherman's Wharf due to its centralized location. It has the, it's home to the iconic Fisherman's Wharf sign that we are all familiar with, as well as adjacent to the Boudin Bakery, um, known for its famous sourdough and clam chowder. Um, and this was, uh, this plaza space was actually a, a, an underutilized and a rundown parking lot. And it wasn't doing any justice to this place. So we identify this area as an important open space to uh, build a special plaza to support this landmark. Um, and also you can see on the south side of this block, the sidewalk was widened. Um, it was uh, at 15 feet wide and it got widened to 22 feet, which enabled us to add uh, street furnishings, including benches with planters, light poles. Also, we opened up the existing tree wells to support a healthy urban tree canopy. So this last block from Mason to Powell, uh, this is really about uh, the gateway to, into Jefferson Street, uh, where many visitors are arriving, uh, coming up Powell Street. Uh, visitors are coming from the Embarcadero, from the adjacent Pier 39. Um, and this is where you see that bold pattern, stripe pattern of the roadway. It's starting here, um, as well as the widened sidewalks and the amenities. Um, on the north side, we relocated the parking lot entrance. Um, there was an existing parking lot there, and we uh, moved that up to uh, the Little Embarcadero onto the north side because we really wanted to continue that pedestrian corridor through this main uh, Jefferson Street. We also provided a special treatment to the sidewalk on this north, on the north side here, uh, paving for um, street performances that were already occurring in this area. As you can see here, uh, this is a, a visual showing how much uh, the sidewalk widened um, at the Inner Harbor, so, which is quite significant. Um, the, pede the pedestrians here, you know, they still get to enjoy the iconic crab pots and the seafood stands, and they now have more space to walk through it um, and enjoy this unique place. So the Inner Harbor, um, I, like I said, it's, it's very special. It's the only part of the project where people have direct access to the water. Um, currently, it's serving visitors today with uh, chartered fishing and boating tours, as mentioned earlier. And one of the interesting challenges here was to maintain the existing seawall structure because um, we could not alter that. Um, and this is where the design team opted uh, to have granite pavers that would be mortared directly onto the existing seawall, um, which allowed for a thin profile to minimize an elevated sidewalk. Also the cont contrasting colors and that same banding pattern um, was uh, continued from the, the new uh, roadway paving as well. Um, 
You can also see here that we replaced, um, there was an old guardrail that was uh, outdated here and we uh, replaced that with a new modern guardrail that was inspired by um, the maritime style guardrails that you see all around the waterfront. This one is specifically inspired by the one at uh, Brandon Street Wharf. Um, and we also added uh, some modern light fixtures with multi-directional lights to light up the sidewalk as well as the boats. So Taylor Street Plaza, um, again, the, this is really the, the heart of Jefferson Street. Um, it's a, you know, it, it used to be this underutilized derelict uh, part of the, the parking lot um, that was that really needed some, some help. So this special plaza, it's transformed into a flexible space that now supports public gatherings and events um, and pedestrian usage while still supporting a parking lot. You know, we maintained um, some parking spaces in this, in this space. Um, here we also have the special paving treatment that continues that same striping language from the roadway. Um, and we also incorporated this unique uh, precast bench. It's a unique seating feature that allows people to sit on all sides of it, uh, you know, and, and view uh, the activities going on in the plaza as well as activities going on in the street. Uh, we also wanted to frame this plaza. Uh, you can see the same uh, precast concrete walls that were used in phase one. Uh, and then as well as framed by trees, uh, which are now um, palm trees, uh, which is a repeated element that you see uh, from the Embarcadero. Here you can see the completed vision of Taylor Street Plaza with places to sit, places to gather, um, layered with these modern elements that really reinforce this sense of place. Um, this is truly a special destination within San Francisco. And we look forward to its continued success as an important part of Fisherman's Wharf and as a beloved place in, in our city. Uh, so thank you. And I would now like to pass it on uh, to Ben Volberding with Construction Management. Thanks, Julie. Uh, as Julie mentioned, my name is Ben Volberding. I'm a civil engineer with uh, Public Works Infrastructure Development and Construction or Design and Construction. And I serve as the uh, resident engineer construction manager on this project. Uh, for, my, for my portion of this uh, presentation, I was going to talk about some of the uh, unique construction requirements and scopes of work. I think we've got a good summary from Randall, Denny, Tony, and Julie about uh, special design considerations, and I was going to drill down a little bit on uh, construction. So as has been alluded to in, in kind of everyone's speeches so far, the, the three blocks that we're working on here has incredibly high uh, uh, density of of pedestrians and, and merchants as, as well as uh, vehicle usage. And, and a big uh, requirement of our contract is that we continue that access um, as unimpeded as, as possible throughout the entirety of our work. Um, but COVID changed that up a little bit uh, pretty quickly into our project. And, and unfortunately we've seen a lot of uh, merchants storefront shutter throughout the life of our project, which has had a, a, a very small benefit or you know side effect to us of, of allowing us to work much more impeded. 
Um, you can see on this first photo in the top right, just how close we are to these uh, merchant storefronts. So, you know, clearly unfortunate for them, but it, but it did definitely expedite our construction um, when, when those have been uh, shuttered. Uh, an, another uh, particular requirement of our project that we is a rarity for our work is as Julie alluded to that a good portion of our work, especially in the Western end of the project was directly atop the existing seawall, which we obviously need to maintain its integrity. So that kind of dictated a lot of means and methods for our contractor in terms of uh, equipment selection or just work general work practices. So they had to kind of put on their kids gloves and, and, and be delicate when working around that uh, seawall. We did have a little issues with uh, damage either caused by our work or pre-existing damages that we found, but we've found that the, the port has been a really good partner in this project to help us uh, re resolve these issues as we uh, discover them. Uh, another special uh, circumstance on this project, as uh, Denny alluded to, is, is just our proximity to the waterfront um, and the the additional uh, attention and, and importance of environmental compliance um, just because of our, of our proximity. Um, so, you know, this part of photo in the bottom right shows our, our work going on and, and directly, but this is at the inner harbor and directly behind it is the water. Um, so, you know, we just have to, our, ourselves and our contractor had to be kind of extra cognizant of uh, making sure we're containing um, any debris related to our work and not letting it get into the into the waterway. So uh, now I want to drill down on, on a couple uh, unique scope elements related to our, our work. Um, again, something that's been kind of hammered on throughout by uh, uh, landscape in their presentation was this special alternating uh, concrete band roadway profile. Um, and you can see there um, on the on the bottom left is was the existing roadway. It was just your, your typical uh, two inches of asphalt over a, a concrete base course, um, which is much simpler to to install, um, although not nearly as aesthetically pleasing as as these uh, alternating bands of concrete. So you can just see in this in this bottom middle photo here just how uh, resource and, and labor intensive the uh, construction of these alternating bands is. So they're also epoxy, uh, reinforced with epoxy coated steel. So you've got these bars that run longitudinally and latitudinally along the roadway. And then you have to have your bands formed uh, with penetrations to allow those, uh, the reinforcement to be continuous throughout. Uh, additionally, just because you've got the, the contrasting concrete colors, you obviously have uh, multiple pores where you've got form stripping in between. So again, just something that uh, differentiates this, this project and makes it a, a really special one uh, to be involved with. Um, and and just, just as a metric, we've got about uh, 23,000 square feet of, of this uh, reinforced roadway just in these three blocks. Um, another uh, interesting element that's that's pretty unique to, to the projects that uh, at least that IDC usually works in is there's just a lot of uh, these these precast elements as well as the uh, the metal guardrail over at the inner harbor. So for, for the precast, we've got 
as Julie was mentioning, we've got benches, walls, curbs, uh, above ground pole foundations, about 17 uh, individual pieces of, of precast totaling over a half million dollars worth of contract work. Um, and and uh, the guardrail, this again is at the Inner Harbor. We've got about uh, 260 linear feet of, of this guardrail to install. Um, unfortunately, uh, these uh, procurement of, of both of these elements has been delayed uh, largely um, because of COVID and, and shutdowns that have happened. Um, but as you can see in the, in the photo on the bottom left there, we're now getting uh, these elements delivered to the job site and are uh, excited to be installing them shortly. So I wanted to talk about uh, kind of one of the, the interesting differing site conditions that we've encountered and there have been several of them. Um, but, but this right here at the, at the plaza that we keep talking about um, is right under that cone when our contractor came and, and did the demolition of the existing uh, surface there at the plaza, they found this, uh, this riser that had been um, covered, covered with concrete. And, and when, they, when they went to uh, go investigate it, it started leaking oil. So we uh, got a, a specialist contractor in, um, to, to take a look and, and survey what was there. And, and in that process of investigating that location, we, we found out that it actually used to be a, um, a gas station, a, a Chevron station. So ap after investigation, uh, it was determined that it wasn't a gas tank like we had originally feared, but it was a, uh, an abandoned hydraulic cylinder, uh, presumably from a vehicle lift um, that was at the at the shop there, uh, and unfortunately, the the top elevation of that cylinder was about a foot above the finished grade of our concrete, so we needed to remove it. Um, and so that that unfortunately slowed our work at the plaza. But the good news is that that uh, removal work of that cylinder was completed this week, so we're now uh, ready to roll on on the plaza. And here is just a, a photo of um, of the plaza, and then you can see, you know, the, the orientation is a little bit different, but you see the sign there, and then you see on the right side uh, that that Chevron Standard Oil sign, um, just to give context of what that area used to be. Uh, that that covers my portion of the presentation. I'll, I'll turn it back to uh, Denny for some closing comments. Thanks, Ben, and. Thank you to all of our presenters who provided their unique perspectives on this project. It's been a really long road for this project. We started planning um, for a phase two around 2017 and completed detailed design in early 2019. And then finally started construction in October, 2019. And over the past year, we made tremendous construction progress and we're very close to the end. We anticipate wrapping up construction um, soon here, just in uh, early February, and we'll have a ribbon cutting event shortly afterwards. So. Look out for more information on that event and, and join us as we celebrate. After the project is complete, I'm sure the CBD will be collecting post-construction pedestrian counts and business revenue numbers. So it'll be really exciting to see the real tangible impacts that our project will make um, for the Fisherman's Wharf community. And I know I can speak for the whole team when I say that we are very fortunate, lucky, and thankful to have the opportunity to design and construct this once-in-a-generation project in such an important and historic area like Fisherman's Wharf. So with that, 
We thank you all for taking the time this afternoon to learn more about our project and I will pass it over to Ben for Q&A. Thank you, Denny, and uh, thank you to all of our presenters for giving us the rundown on the uh, Jefferson Streetscape project. My name is Ben Peterson. I'm on the Public Works Communications team and I'm gonna be facilitating the uh, question and answer portion of today's webinar. Um, if you haven't done so already and you have a question, uh, feel free to submit it at the bottom uh, just by clicking the Q&A button at the bottom of your screen, or you can send it in uh, through the chat. Um, our first question is, um, I guess it's probably best for Ben Volverding. Uh, Matt Jasmine asks, um, how did the contractor pour the alternating band of concrete? Um, did they go all the way down with one color and then start from the beginning again um, using the other color or what was that process like? Yeah, Ben, thanks. It's, it's a good question. And I, I think you kind of uh, got to got to it in, in your theorizing about it. But so basically they, they did, they would install the formwork for a certain section of roadway, you know, call it a couple hundred feet. And that, that formwork looked just like what, what I had in my photo. Um, and then what they do is they come and pour one of the colors. So they would pour every other kind of panel and then they allow that to cure for a little bit. And then they'll come and strip out all of the formwork, which would just leave those, those uh, separate panels. And then they come back and, and do the infill with the, the contrasting color um, to, to get your complete roadway. Great, thank you. Um, and thank you, Matt, for submitting that question as well. Um, this next question, I guess it's, it could be open to, to any of the panelists. Um, Nicholas Crawford asks, um, some of the clunky or quirky elements um, are part of the charm of Fisherman's Wharf. Um, how did you try to retain the essence or like the spirit of Fisherman's Wharf um, and make sure that wasn't lost in the new design? I'll, I'll, I'll chime in and answer that. I think the waterfront along San Francisco has done a really good job of not trying to falsify what it isn't, meaning you know, you could take the Disneyland approach and do these sort of faux treatments that aren't authentic. Um, I think they've done a really good job incorporating what's sort of this industrial waterfront look, whether it's through the, the look of the precast concrete walls or the guardrails that don't compete with what, what is already there and whether that's Pier 39 or the street or whatever it is. So I think it's a little bit of an elegant approach. It's a little bit understated, except for maybe the banding of the roadway, which is a really timeless, I think, urban design approach that you see a lot of the time. And we're still allowing for a lot of that quirk to happen, whether that's the street performers or the crab pots or the boats that are out there, the A-frame signage, um, you know, the people selling the Fisherman's Wharf fleece, which is probably iconic at this point. So I don't think we've taken away from the, the life of the street through the design. We still, we've really worked to accommodate uh, the things that were already happening out there that were really great and designed it in a way that we don't compete with uh, the success that already exists out there. Um, yeah, I can, I can kind of speak to that a little bit too. Yeah. You know, the, um, thanks Tony, and you're spot on. You know, the, the street itself and the design itself is, is kind of a, a foundation. It runs underneath the wharf, so to speak, you know, underneath people's feet. It, the quirkiness of the wharf will always be there. You know, um, it's, it's just that kind of place. So um, the seagulls are still gonna come you know, the, the boats are still going to go in and out. So it's, um, yeah, the design team did a fantastic job of pulling it, pulling together a cohesive design in an incohesive area without it looking like, you know, it was manufactured. So I, uh, hats off to the team for doing that. It, and it's, it's looking really good and still quirky. 
Great. Yeah, I agree. It's definitely important to keep that that essence of Fisherman's Wharf because, like you said, Randall, it was it did start out as and it still is a commercial fishing area, and that's kind of how it got its start. Um, our our next question, I guess, um, it could either be for Randall or potentially Julie as well. Um, so an anonymous attendee is asking, um, will the Taylor Street Plaza have programmed events like holiday events or farmers markets? And how was that, or if, if that's the case, how was that incorporated into the new design? So I, I guess Juliana will go into the, the actual design of it. Uh, the intended use, as I, as I understand it, is it is what's called a flex space. And what that means is it can be parking when it needs to be parking. It can be um, an open plaza when it needs to be an open plaza and it can be activated. So those activations are gonna fall on the CBD and surrounding neighborhoods uh, to put together so we can put some programming in there. Prior to this, we, we would have to pull, uh, I'm sure we'll have to pull some sort of permit, but we had to jump through all these hoops in order to get some space to have an activation. Now we have a dedicated space for activation. So it, it's going to allow us to program it. So yes, there will be programming. What that looks like going forward, it could be a market, could be, could be any number of things. Um, and I also just wanted to add that uh, the plaza is a pretty, pretty sizable space. It's about 7,000 square feet. And even though we, um, we had to maintain uh, some of those parking spaces. Um, even when there are cars parked in that space, there is still a lot of area for um, events to happen. Great, thank you. It's, it seems like it's definitely a place that can be um, used for a bunch of different potential events or um, you know, one-off things as well. So um, our, our next question um, is, um, Prior to the pandemic, what impact did phase one of this project have on Fisherman's Wharf? Um, was there any you know, tangible increase in visitors or revenues that came about due to these improvements? Um, I think we touched on this a little bit, but if um, I think Denny or maybe Randall could go into a little bit more depth about um, how, that, um, how phase one changed that stretch of uh, Fisherman's Wharf. Yeah, I think maybe Randall might have more information, but um... You know, I do have some data that we we received, um, you know, through our planning department and the CBD and our um, uh, Office of Economic Development. Um, and so when the phase one project was complete, some of the information that and feedback that we received is that um, businesses on that stretch, they increased gross sales anywhere from 10 to 21 percent um, in the months right after the construction was completed and, and, and opened back up. Um, some other data that we have is um, let's see, that, you know, some of the business owners and the property owners in, in the vicinity have, have spent millions of dollars in, in their own funding to um, start redeveloping their, their, their properties and um, reinvesting in their businesses to bring them up to a higher standard to kind of match the new streetscape that's, um, you know, came out of phase one. And uh, pedestrian counts, I think, have, have really increased as well. And um, there's, there's one stat that we have from one of the fishermen's boats there um, saying, you know, their business has increased 20% um, of, of all the new tours and, and, and pedestrian traffic in the area. So um, I think phase one made a, made a really good impact. And um, I'm more hopeful that phase two will make an even greater impact, um, you know, as we, we recover from this pandemic. 
So with, with regard to phase one, unfortunately, I was not the ED here during, during that period of time. Um, and we did, the pedestrian counters were not installed until uh, 2014. So do, do we have hard data? No, but I, I will say this, that uh, resounding applause from the business owners in phase one, you know, with, with a couple of exceptions, um, let's face it, you know, you can't make everybody happy all the time, no matter what you do, um, even though it's my job. But uh, it's the, the overall impact on the street itself, it, you know, it has been tremendously positive and visually speaking, it, it People like walking on, you know, they like walking on the, just the open space of the concrete bands in the middle of the street. We shut down the street on a number of occasions. And I think that's, that's kind of the future of urban space. Uh, whether, you know, uh, COVID or no COVID, people like space. And now we have this five block area where the whole thing looks like a plaza itself. So it's, um, I, I anticipate this is going to accelerate the recovery post COVID. And I, I plan, our plan at the CBD is to really push that and use the street um, and use the wider sidewalks to really promote social distancing and safe shopping and, you know, and safe outdoor dining. So I, th I think the timing of this project couldn't have been better in that it's, it will be a catalyst for greater economic recovery for the area. Great, thank you. Um, I, I think those numbers are super impressive and, and I agree that it seems like it'll be a, a positive impact on phase two of the, uh, of the project as well. Um, we have time for a, a few more questions. Um, the next one is, um, I guess it might be best for maybe Ben, um, was uh, night work ever necessary to work around the schedule of all the different businesses and um, organizations that are in are along Jeff Jefferson Street. Yeah, so we, we didn't do any night work on, on this particular project. Um, there was a little bit of a discussion about it uh, on the, the easternmost block where we did we had some water main replacement work. You, when, when PUC comes in to do those connections on new water mains, they often like to do it at, at night. Um, but we actually have a, there's a hotel uh, on that uh, on that third block, and, and when the connections were done, we were still living pre-pandemic then, so people were in the hotel, and and mm. out of you know the the sensitivities for for them, we we uh, opted to do it during the day. Um, but but again, I think you know because of the pandemic, kind of making things easier construction-wise with the storefronts, we didn't really have any incentive uh, since since March um, to pursue night work. That totally makes sense. If I was staying in a hotel, the last thing I would want is construction going on in the middle of the night. That's right. <laughs> Thank you. Um, uh, I guess this is our, our last question. Um, and I think it might be best for, for Denny. Um, how did the uh, design team manage the existing F-line trackway and the associated cobble, uh, cobble paving? Um, I guess generally, um, you know, how was how did the, um, the Muni F-Line kind of factor into how the project was planned and uh, the construction was planned? So um, originally when the project was first in design, um, the streetcar was, was planned to continue during construction. Um, so that would have been a you know, pretty challenging effort for our team. And luckily we were able to negotiate with MTA to um, you know, stop, stop the train, uh, the streetcar during construction. Um, which gave us the opportunity to make some improvements around the trackway as part of our design. And we didn't actually replace any of the track itself 
um, or any of the uh, cobbles within the trackway. But we did have an opportunity to uh, replace some of the cobblestones areas around the trackway that used to be um, roadway. And we were able to extend our sidewalk into those spaces as part of our sidewalk widening. Um, and so some of the areas on the roadway where the cobbles used to be um, will now be sidewalk or we replaced it with special granite pavers that our design team um, put together um, to kind of make, to keep that unique look of the uh, trackway. Um, so overall, you know, it's, uh, it's challenging that the, the trackway is there, um, but I think the, the team did a great job of kind of working around it and designing, um, designing it into the project. Great, thank you, Denny. Uh, again, lots of moving parts, lots of different things to keep in, keep in mind in this project. So um, yeah, it makes sense that um, there's a lot to keep in mind there. Um, that seems like that is all the questions that we have uh, for our panelists. Thank you all again for your presentations and your thoughtful answers to all these questions. And I'm gonna pass it back to Coma to give our uh, final remarks. Great. Thank you everyone. And thank you to all of our presenters today. And thank you for joining us. Uh, we had about 110 attendees uh, joining us today. So it's amazing. Thank you for taking time out of your day to learn more about the Jefferson Streetscape project. I wanna remind you that our next webinar or um, Snapshot for Live series will be December 17th and we'll focus on emergency response. So be on the lookout for more information about that soon. Uh, with that, uh, we just wanna wrap it up. We thank you again for joining us and we hope you learned a little uh, something new about the Jefferson Streetscape project. Thank you all.